1: You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Orlando Magic fans. Hocus Podcast, Locked On Magic coming at you. We got a a dual broadcast here with Philip Rossman Reich of Orlando Magic Daily and myself, Brett David Roberts, 33 Trigger. He is Daily on Twitter for those of you that don't already follow him. And uh, we, we are officially the tank is underway as the Magic are out of the playoffs as of yesterday. And Russell Westbrook went absolutely bonkers tonight. Phil was there to take that in. Uh, I want to start first with Phil. Um, describe the atmosphere because I saw a lot of tweets about Ooh. it, but it, sometimes on television you actually don't get the full picture. You, you know that?
0: Yeah, um, it was it was as lively of an atmosphere as, as we've seen in the Amway Center this year. Uh, you know, I would I would compare it to. Opening night against the Heat, which was very—I mean, it seems forever ago—but that was a very crazy atmosphere. Um, but it was probably more similar to when, like, Golden State or Cleveland rolled into town, and there were a lot of uh, a lot of fans wanting to see, you know, the best players in the best player in the league or the best players in the league, and a lot of them were you know, gasping and cheering when Russell Westbrook did his thing. There were MVP chants coming down from the rafters when Russell Westbrook was at the free throw line. Uh, So it was a a very kind of crazed atmosphere. You could kind of sense there was a lot of blue and orange. A a little surprisingly to me, maybe I shouldn't be so surprised by this, but like Russell Westbrook got a louder ovation during intros than Victor Oladipo. And this was Victor Oladipo's first game back in Orlando. Mm. He's obviously a guy that really ingrained himself in the Orlando community uh over the years a very popular player uh and, and the magic did do a tribute video to him but uh it, nothing really got a rise out of anyone uh, except for Westbrook and you expect a little bit of like ooing and aahing when a player does something historic like Westbrook does but it, it, it at times especially at the end of the game it felt like a road thunder game it felt like more of a 50-50 split than maybe it should have been and, and <sighs> frankly magic fans haven't had much reason to cheer and they didn't at the end of this game
1: Right, uh, I mean, he is an amazing all-time talent, and and it's always been the case. I think even when the Magic were good, that when these these all-time talents come in, the fans want to see him. You know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it certain certainly even the Celtics, not at their peak, still draw a lot of cheers in Orlando, as do the Knicks. Sure, sure. And it's something we've we've become accustomed to it to some degree, so it's not really all that shocking, but. It, there's a, there's a, you can't help but feel a little disappointed now when when you hear the road team getting equal or sometimes even more applause than than your Orlando Magic, you know.
0: Especially, especially, I mean, not that well, I mean, not to take anything away from Westbrook, he did something historic, and you know, I'm so close to the team that I don't think I've really appreciated what he did tonight, what he did Wednesday night. Um, you know, I, I, I'm gonna at some point kind of sit back and just say, you know, dang, I, I just watched a. Th- the highest scoring triple double in NBA history, fifty-seven right. points is is incredible on its own right. To, and he he took over that game. He willed his team to victory. Uh, and yeah, at, at some point I'm going to sit back and say that. But in the moment, I was all you know. There is just there is no excuse for the Magic to lose this game. They're getting you know kind of punked on their home floor in front of supposedly mm-hmm. their fans. Uh, and you know, it, it was to me a little embar. It was unacceptable, number one, and, and a little embarrassing, to, to be frank. Uh, even with how difficult this season has been.
1: Hey, but in some respects, I get it. I don't think that that the average fan is really contemplating and understanding how hard it is to do these things. To, to I've, I played basketball my whole life. I never had a single triple double. I never scored fifty-seven <laughs> points in a I game. Don't think, I, don't I, think do, I've,
0: I don't think I ever had had an assist in an organized basketball game.
1: Uh, getting ten assists is really hard if you're not a point guard anyway. So I mean. The, the, what he is doing is absolutely incredible. And, and because the, Harden is doing something similar and because the games are so high-scoring, people are kind of writing it off and discounting it. And to me, that is absolutely crazy. I mean, scoring 57 points by itself is hard. Doing all the other things that came with it, the 12 rebounds and 11 assists, <coughs> hasn't been done before, folks, you know? And um, you're, I'm sure there's people on Twitter right now saying something about his field goal percentage or turnovers or whatever. I just see so many people seeking to discredit what Russ has done this season, and it's just... Uh, it's not. It's, it's not a boat I'm on. <laughs> it, no,
0: no, and I'm not on that boat either. It was an incredible individual performance. Most importantly, regardless of any of those stats, it came in a win. Uh, that that to me matters a lot in, in these individual stats. Did you do it in a win? Did did it really help your team win? Uh, and and we've seen in the last two years, I've seen two of Russell, Russell Westbrook's all-time great individual performances, uh, and. Uh, you got to count yourself as just really lucky to say that.
1: Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I just long for the day that we get a talent like that in Orlando again, because certainly we've had them, you know, Tracy McGrady, so, Shaquille O'Neal. I, I don't need to recap that magic history for everybody. Dwight, Dwight Howard and so on and so forth. We've seen some incredible players, but look at the excitement that generated not even coming from a magic player. So imagine if that was done in pinstripes, how, how, how lit the Amway center would have been tonight, every night. you so, know? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I and mean, that's, that's right. And that's,
0: and that's what, You know every team is questing for in in one way or another because to win a championship you need those time you need those players.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's been proven to be the case for every team except the 2004 Pistons, Uh, and and that's a one one, has happened once in 27 years of watching basketball. The teams won without what you would call a showboat, you know, true superstar. They had a lot of stars, but no superstar. Yeah. Anyway, um, that's a digression. But the magic. Could they find something like that in this draft? I hear a lot of hype about this draft and those those top three point guards: Dennis Smith, Lonzo Ball, and Markel Fultz. Are any of them on Russell Westbrook level, or is this all hype? I I do, I haven't. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I'm I'm lower on this draft than a lot of people. Like, I think Markel mm-hmm. Fultz is a very good player. I think Lonzo Ball is a very good player. I think Jason Tatum's a very good player. I think Josh Jackson's a very good player. I think there are some really good players in this draft and and potential all stars. I don't think there's that. Run away. This guy will make your team better tomorrow just by having him on the on the team type of guy. They're, they're, it's gonna take some development for all these guys. And whenever there's development, there's the potential for failure. Um, you know, I think right. I think that, you know, you know, take Markel Fultz for instance, uh probably the best uh overall all-around player in the draft, but he couldn't get his team to the to the NCAA tournament or even the NIT. And especially as a point guard, that that should mean something, right? That that should mm-hmm. mean something. And uh, you know, Lonzo Ball is a guy that everyone thinks has kind of got the most superstar written all over him. And I, and I I do love Lonzo Ball. Uh, you know, for a for such a young player, you know, even playing in the N C A A tournament and playing at a high level in the Pac twelve, he just has complete control over a basketball game. I love the the rhythm in which he plays at. Uh, he's incredibly athletic, really good at getting in the basket. He's actually a good shooter, but you look at his shot and you're like, can he get that off in the NBA? What's he going to be able to do when everyone else is kind of mm-hmm. at his athletic athletic level? Uh, and so I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced he's a superstar. Like when when I saw Kevin Durant at Texas, it was clear that this guy can score. You know, maybe he's got maybe he's got to put on a little bit of weight, but this guy can score. And yeah, and when it comes to the draft, we tend to focus on the negatives more than the positives. But there, I mean, you look at what Lonzo Ball did against Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. That matters a little bit because he disappeared in that game. Uh, and, and he didn't handle point guard duties the entire time, which is just more of a question mark than a weakness. Um, you know, Jason Tatum's the same way. He disappeared in the NCAA tournament a little bit. And it's not to put so much eggs in that basket because Tatum played really, really well leading into the NCAA tournament. And especially in the ACC tournament, when in meaningful games. But there were far too many games where it felt like Tatum just kind of disappeared and went into the fold. And, and that's a general, I think, weakness of having so many freshmen. Fre- the freshmen in college tend to defer to their veteran to their veteran players, and so we don't necessarily get a full picture of what they can do all the time uh, in college. So to, to, to kind of bring this all back, um, to me – and I've, you know, I, I, I know there's plenty of people who disagree with me. I think there's a lot of people who think that this is a really, really good draft at the top and that that these guys are all potential stars. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, this draft has a lot of very good players, but not necessarily those franchise-changing players. There's no one in this draft, uh, and part of it is because it's so deep at the top that, that if the Magic ended up 5th or 6th or 7th, I feel comfortable they'll get a good player. Um, but to me... There's no one in this draft that I'm going out of my way to get. I'm not like I'm not gonna go crazy if the Magic don't get a top three pick and, and land outside the lottery. Obviously, that would be better. You want choice. You want that ability to choose who you're picking. But at the same time, I'm not gonna go crazy if they don't get that opportunity uh, because I think there's still value later on in the draft and 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 players that that will be just as serviceable later on.
1: I guess what I'm wondering. Is that we've spent now? This is the third season of Alfred Payton, correct? It's not a yes. sophomore year anymore, right? Thir- yes. third, third year of third Alfred year. Payton, and and we've it, there's been a, lot, a heavy focus on developing Alfred Payton, and a lot of time and effort has gone into that, I believe, in, in, in many respects. You land a top three pick, do you just su- suddenly decide, well, we're going to roll the dice with a brand new guy and get rid of Alfred Payton? Do you bring Payton off the bench? Do you bring the other guy off the bench? What do they do if they land a top three pick and the best pick is a point guard? Uh,
0: I think you. I think you take. I mean, when you're drafting, when you're drafting that high in the draft, you take the best player available. Period. Um, I. I. I think uh, you can always figure things out later, uh, and, and you know, players still have value in the trade market. And Alfred Payton will be a restric- will be a restricted free agent next summer, uh, and so he might have some value as a, as a trade piece for a team that that likes him in whatever role or just wants to clear cap room. Even I mean, he, that that's a technically an expiring contract if they want it to be, uh, but. That high in the draft with the talent that's there, you take the best player available. Uh, for, for the longest time, and, and maybe I still feel a little this way. I don't necessarily feel completely this way after the season. But um, for the longest time, I always said about Nikola Vucevic, he's a fine starting center. You're probably not going You're probably going to be capped at what you can do uh, because of his limitations as an athlete. Uh, so if you find a better option, you go for it. I feel that way about Alfred Payton right now. Alfred Payton is right. a fine starter. He he does the job more often than not. But you're gonna be capped at what you can do with him as your starting point guard. So if you find a better option, you go for it. And if you have to bring that rookie off the bench to start the season and eventually overtakes Peyton, so be it. Um, you know, I think we all kind of sense with this magic here, and, and this is kind of the backdrop to all of this. We all sense with this magic team that there's going to be some change in the front office this summer. Um, I, I think we all kind of feel that that's going to happen at this point. Uh, how will a new GM view Alfred Payton? Because Alfred Payton is kind of Rob Hennigan's guy. That's that's the hill Hennigan Hennigan essentially mm-hmm. died on with Scott Skiles. Uh, and if you're going to a new GM is going to have a different idea of what and what Alfred Payton is and what value they can get for him and and what's better than him. Uh, you know, uh, going back to the draft a little bit, uh, to Aaron Fox, to me from Kentucky, to me, he was what, what how he played in college is I think how we all envisioned Alfred Payton playing. Like he gets away with not having a good jump jumper because he is so good at attacking the basket and finishing around the rim and doing things that Payton's really struggled to do consistently at the NBA level. Now, who's to say Fox is going to be able to do that at the NBA level too, but uh, you know, it, it, at is is a, is a new GM going to value Darren Fox more than Alfred Payton? Possibly. I, I don't know if I would. Uh-huh. I think that's probably where I draw the line, but Marco Fultz is a better shooter. Lonzo Ball is a better shooter. Uh, you know, Dennis Smith is a better shooter and scorer, and that's more of what the Magic need right now than, than maybe what Payton can provide.
1: You know what kind of interests me, and there's absolutely no traction to this on a real level. But I've seen some of my colleagues over at the Bird Rights for SB Nation Pelican site speculating that Alfred Payton would be a real nice fit in New Orleans, and he's of course from there, mm-hmm. and they love and they love him there still. Um, do you think that ever be a player? Is is that just pure speculation on my buddies?
0: Um, you know, I without knowing too much about New Orleans' point guard situation, I mean, they, they're pr- they're probably going to lose Drew Holiday this summer, right? Um, It's they're going to have
1: to pay. They're going to have to pay him the max and then they'd have to keep room for cousins, which how do you fill out the rest of the roster if you do that? So that's that situation. And then they also have a really nice backup in Tim Frazier, who I think has a ton of potential, but he's also 26 years old. So maybe that potential and upside might not be quite what I think it is, but he's a pretty good player. Really? He started out the season very nicely alongside anthony davis they just had no one else doing much of anything so they went oh and eight and um now he's not drew holiday now but drew holiday is a one-time all-star and uh one of the better point guards in the league yet still about average for a starter when it comes down to it which is shocking but there's that many good point guards in the league and and when it comes right down to it i think you need a top 10 point guard to, to really contend uh and I don't think I don't think Holiday is that. I don't think Alfred Payton is that. So I think both of these teams, the Pelicans and Magic, are going to be searching for answers. And maybe New Orleans might think they could get a bargain on Alfred, bring him home because uh, he's yeah. from that area. They played my, there. So.
0: My, thinking about it a little bit more, my concern with with Payton going to that team is we saw what Payton did when he had two bigs and Vucevic and Ibaka this year, and it just it did not work. Like I mean, that, that was right. one of the things. His inconsistency was as much a product of. Ibaka and Vucevic clogging the lane because teams know that that they can lay off Peyton so I just I don't think Peyton's the right point guard for the Pelicans with what they're trying to do with cousins and Davis now if they move cousins again perhaps you know which which maybe is possible maybe it isn't but if, if they decide to move one of those two bigs maybe that frees up some space um, Davis might be a better uh center to play with Peyton but uh, the, the, I mean the issue with Peyton is um, I don't know if he's a starter in this league anymore because you've got to play through him with the ball because when he doesn't have the ball, what's he doing out there? Because he's not spreading the floor. He's not He's not doing any of that.
1: Right. The court spacing thing was something that I keyed in on is going to be a problem from the very beginning of the season, and it has been. Um, the Magic have another middle first-round pick that they obtained – from that trade with, with when they dealt Sergi Ibaka, it'll be maybe in the early twenties, really. Actually, not true middle, but uh, are there any shooters in that range you, you've been looking at or targeting or thinking about?
0: Um, you know, I, I honestly, I, I'll, I'll this is completely my fault now. I, I've not done a ton of research on the players later in the draft. It seems like later in the first round, there are a lot more kind of those rangy bigs and and tweener tweener fours threes. Uh, that uh-huh. are really athletic but don't really have a, f- a clear fit in the NBA. Uh, one guy, though, that I do – I am keeping an eye on, and, and I'm interested to see how he fares uh, in in the pre-draft workouts is uh, Alonzo oh, – sorry, Alonzo Trier from Arizona. Uh, he was actually – b- I believe he was actually their leading scorer this year um, – not a bad shooter, not a bad scorer, probably a guy you want to bring off the bench. Like I, I think later, at, at the 20s in the first round, you're looking for guys that are going to come off your bench and, and play a role.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, but uh-huh. Trier
0: can work with the ball in his hand, create a little bit for himself, uh, at, and make three-pointers when left open. Uh, the reason that he's kind of slipped a lot of draft boards was he was suspended the first half of the year for taking a banned substance. Uh, and so I think he, he's going to have to explain himself a little bit in uh, pre-draft workouts and interviews. Uh, but th- this kid, you know, was a leading scorer for a really good Arizona team. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he has a lot of the tools that that you're looking for from a bench NBA player. Maybe not a pure three point shooter, but someone who can be a, a seventh, eighth man, you know, secondary ball handler uh, in a second unit. Uh, and I and I think that that's a pretty safe, that's a much safer bet later on in in, in the draft or later on in the first round.
1: That also sounds like a healthy Jody Meeks and boy would it be nice to see him stay healthy for a full season because he's he's a flamethrower and I think he's a guy you want on your team when when it gets good too. You know, he's he serves a very valuable role. It's been disappointing to see him battle injuries and, and the injuries have certainly robbed him of a lot of his play this season, but he lit the magic up last year and we know what Jody Meeks can do when Jody Meeks gets hot. So um I think some of the pieces are already already here, but with the the way this season has gone in, in such disarray and disaster, you, you it's hard to really get a gauge on what you have when the, and you, like you even your article the other day on Orlando Magic Daily about trusting the pass. I mean I, that's common 1 on 1 basketball but the magic didn't, you know.
0: Yeah, and, and 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 Vogel has said this. Like I mean he even mentioned it after Wednesday's game that you know in the fourth quarter we just we didn't trust the pass enough, you know, we let Oklahoma City switch uh and we couldn't beat anyone off the dribble and we just tried to do mm-hmm. everything ourselves but Vogel said this throughout the year actually and it was it kind of like I mean not I mean I'm at fault with this too because no one really challenged him on it but like he said throughout the year we're not a team that naturally trusts the pass and to me that was like raise my antenna I was like that's mm-hmm. not a good thing like that, like I, I get he's trying to say that that's not a good thing but uh that's for for this team especially with the way that they they're supposed to play offense and the way they need to play offense if they're not like instinctual passers, they're not going to get anyone open. They're going to be forcing a lot of shots, and their offense is going to be the second worst in the league like it is.
1: Well, to me, it's an absolute mark of a bad team. If you look at these yeah. good teams like San Antonio and the Hawks during their 60-win season a couple years ago, they average over 22, 23 assists a game. The ball's moving constantly. There's 9, 10 pass possessions. How often do we see that in Orlando? You know, it just doesn't happen. When they're really good, and, we see
0: it. When they're really bad, we don't.
1: Right, and they're really good, what, one out of five games, you know? And so. Yeah. It's just – and I think that's the case with a lot of mediocre to bad teams is that you can get this lightning in a bottle situation where you see even a whole full game of basketball or three good quarters of basketball. But in terms of consistency, stringing it together and then, whoa, this works. Let's keep doing it. It doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? and, and and it's – I mean I think that's been the struggle all year is, that if, is they can't get them to play at the level that they need to play at consistently.
1: Right. So I think that that kind of sums up a good bit there um, in terms of of what's happened recently, the draft a little bit. You and I both need to dig deeper on the draft. You you could tell I was kind of picking your brain, and, and I, I have <laughs> I have a lot of I have I have a whole lot of nothing up there at this point too. I barely watched March Madness this year for various reasons, actually. But um, it, it, the time is nigh to really get into this draft and for us to dig deep and and determine what we want to happen because it is one of the more exciting parts or probably the most exciting part. If you have a rebuilding team that you're trying to cover and follow and watch and, and care about. Um, and this isn't a bad draft, obviously with all the hype it's received, but I, I personally, I can't stand on both feet and say that I think this draft is good. Other people do. And I'm willing to take their word at this point. Um, but, but, you know, that I, I might
0: I, be, and I might be selling this draft short. Like there are good players in this draft. Like if, I mean, I, a lot of people have hit me up, Saying, "Oh, why are you still kind of covering this team like they should be winning?" And it's like, "Well, a, I'm holding the Magic to the standard they've set for themselves. They've they've told us they want to keep winning games, so I'm I'm judging them on that standard. But uh-huh. b, if the Magic fall from fourth to fifth in the lottery odds, I I don't see much of a difference there. I don't think I don't think that's that's a big deal. Like if they fall to sixth or seventh, then we're getting into, into danger zone that oh if they're not going to bring in an impact player that can that can help their team." you know, relatively quickly next year. Um, but at the end of the day, it's a lottery. They're not going to fall into the bottom bottom three at this point. Uh, I, I don't think that's possible. Uh, right? And, and so they're going to be depending on luck. And, you know, at the end of the day, one rookie is not going to change things. And I, and I still think the Magic want to win sooner rather than later. I don't think they're going to go into a massive rebuild, even with a new GM. And that's going to be, that's going to dictate a lot of the decisions that they make in the next f- four months.
1: I think when it comes to the aspect of of missing out on the top players – it all depends on who you ask every year, you know. Even amongst the great draft, draft experts, there's a lot of variation in their opinions. If you talk to my co-host, Chris Chartier, he'll tell you a top three pick is absolutely necessary, that the top three players separate themselves a lot from the rest of the draft. And he's dug into it. So, you know, that that's his opinion. I trust his opinion. Sure. I don't happen to share it because I don't have one yet. But uh, some people are going to say that, you know, this guy's can't miss, this guy's can't miss, and then there's this big separation. I, I don't know enough about this draft to, to be able to make those kind of statements yet and i'm not going to do that i don't like talking out my butt and making no sense so <laughs> um but the the magic you know they disappointed us in many respects this year uh i we both had them pegged for 35 wins if i recall this year again i, re- I expected I, a repeat. i think
0: i think i had them at 40 i thought they'd improve but still miss the playoffs
1: yeah i, I had a repeat of 35 and and it doesn't look like that's going to happen they're, either they're so i'm um,
0: in at 30 it looks like
1: yeah and they're on pace that's at 30 well, the first year of this rebuild under, under Vaughn was 28 wins?
0: Uh, it was 20. They won 20 games the first year of the rebuild. They improved. They went 20, 23, 25, 35.
1: Ah. Yeah, so it was worse. Okay, so there's been some so there's been some form of progress. I can't say none's been made, as I've been trying to say. That's
0: what I tell everyone. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, there's been l there's been a little progress, just not quite what we hope for. And like you said last time we podcast, which was probably three or four months ago, I'm not even sure, you said sometimes rebuilds don't work out and they don't, you know? Sometimes they don't, and, and that's the case here, but that doesn't necessarily mean like you said that they have to scrap it all and rebuild again. Uh they can tinker and if if the tinkering aspect is, is really what the team's gonna do, would you expect that Rob Hennigan remains the GM then probably?
0: No. I, I think that if no. I, I mean I Honestly, uh, you know, I'm you know, I'm still kind of forming these, this opinion, but it, it the way the Magic marketed the season to their fans was that we are aiming to make the playoffs this year, and so for them to not only not make the playoffs but take a step back, it feels like they need to save face and say to their fans, you know. We screw you know, we screwed up. Here's the scapegoat. I mean, regardless of who gave the order or, or what the decision or how the decision came to be that the Magic wanted to make the playoffs this year instead of, you know, kind of continuing to, to, to progressively build, they made that decision and they didn't get there. And and so it just feels like they have to save face for the fans. On top of all that, it's been five years now, or almost it'll be five years at the end of the season. The team Made slow but steady progress and then took a big step back. and now you're sit- we're sitting here asking like, well, what do the magic have? what what are they building around? And the answer to that question is still really unclear. And so I think to some extent, you know and and, I, and I've been a rob Hedigan defender for for a while now, but to some extent, they need new eyes on the problem. They just need a new voice or they need a new perspective on the issues that they're facing. That that Rob Hennigan's not giving them because he's he's kind of built this team from the ground up and hasn't been able to solve some of their key consistent ongoing problems and and so for me it just it it, it feels this way sometimes with coaches too it just feels like the coach has done everything he can and it just isn't working anymore I, I just kind of feel that way with Rob Hennigan like he 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 did about all he could. He, he took some gambles. They didn't pan out. The team took a big step back this year in a year that, that felt like had a lot of pressure to it. And it results matter at the end of the day, too, in this league.
1: Mm-hmm. And so it
0: just feels like it's time. It just feels like it, the Magic just, you know, even even if Hennigan did every step right and everything just didn't work out for one reason or another, those deci- that, that decision-making process or his judgment on those decisions, even if the process was absolutely right for the way that he made those decisions. It, it just feels like it's time to get a new new set of eyes on the problem and, and, and get a new perspective on things.
1: I think one thing I've been really in favor of since teams have started doing it is the idea of making your coach the GM as well. I, I feel like they handed Vogel a roster that he wasn't sure what to do with because it wasn't stacked with talent, and he had to adapt to that roster. I'm not saying the answer is to give Vogel the GM job necessarily. I'm not saying it's a bad idea either, but it it should be in consideration. Uh, The one thing that did catch my eye a couple weeks ago, though, however, was um, the report that Doc Rivers was being considered for a GM job. Would you be in favor of that if if Doc were to come back as the GM? I
0: I don't know if I'd be in favor of him coming back as the GM because he's had a spotty track record um, with the Clippers as a GM. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I do think that there would be some benefit to him returning. I think that you know when the Magic were at their most successful, they had kind of one guy who had the owner's ear on the business side, and one guy that had the owner's ear on the basketball side. And Mm -hmm. you know, honestly, I think a big turning point for the Magic's franchise history was when Bob VanderWide resigned, because Bob VanderWide you know, was uh, Rich DeVos' son-in-law. He was essentially the owner's representative in Orlando, and the way the, the, the team was structured was Alex Martin's ran the business side and he reported to Vanderwide and Otis Smith ran the basketball side and he reported to Vanderwide. And so when mm-hmm. Vanderwide resigned, you know, and Alex Martin's took over kind of both and he became the day-to-day representative of the on- of ownership. Um mm. and and I mean I, I a lot of people want to want to harp on Alex Martin's for meddling too much, but the the fact of the matter is he essentially acts as the DeVos family when they're not around. Right. And so I kind of think the Magic need to get back to a, a, a business structure where there is someone in the room who has, a lot of, who has enough basketball cachet to garner ownership's respect, and ear independent of what Alex Martins does. Because, I mean, as much as people want to say that the Magic should fire Alex Martins, he's, he's the problem, and, and maybe he is. Who knows? Alex Martins does his job he's in charge of the business of the Orlando magic and the encore product matters. And, and he certainly should share some blame for that, but he's got other business ventures. He's worried about. He, he essentially was the magic's, you know, lobbyist for the arena. He got that done. So the magic are really indebted to him for that. He's building the entertainment complex, which is a huge investment from the team that they believe is going to make the magic far more prof you know, very, very profitable. So, He's not going anywhere I'm sorry I'm sorry mm-hmm. for the people that, that, that don't want to think he's going anywhere. but I think you add in a guy like Doc Rivers, I think he is close with owner I think he's closer to with ownership and you know he's got that championship ring and he's got a lot of success and, and he's got some cachet in the community. He's someone that I think would when he says we need to do this. They're, people are going to listen to him. No offense right. to Rob Hennigan, but Hannigan came in as a 31-year-old GM, first, first time as a GM, first time in the lead chair. And I think some of that inexperience, I mean, not that he has no experience being in an NBA front office, but I think some of that lack of experience and lack of kind of cachet allowed him to get steamrolled a little bit when some of the business interests began to take precedent over maybe his... Basketball playing interests, uh, and I don't think that would necessarily happen with Doc Rivers, and and I'd, I'd prefer to see Doc Rivers more in a basketball president operations role with a day to day GM underneath him. But I'm not totally against the idea of bringing in a guy like Doc Rivers to kind of be that guy who has a presence, has an NBA presence, has some cachet that when he says something about basketball, um, or he says something that might conflict with what you know the business side wants to do, he can say, you know, this is, this is what we got to do and, and really explain it. And ownership will say, you know what? I'm going to trust your judgment on this. I, I don't know if, you know, certainly Hennigan didn't start off right, but I don't know if Hennigan ever had the ability to kind of supersede the business interests of the team at, at any time. And, and this is all speculation on my part. I have no clue what the relationship, mm-hmm. what the relationship is like. I think the magic had a plan. They were committed to it for a few, for a few years uh, and then they got a little antsy about it and, and I think any ownership group would get a little bit antsy about it after three after two three years where they really haven't made the progress they wanted to make uh, but I think I think you need that presence in there and I think you, I, I mean I think you need that extra perspective in there as well and maybe not doing the day-to-day stuff mm-hmm. but making big decisions and kind of guiding the team independent of the business side um, or a little more independent from the business side uh, I think would be very good for the magic right now
1: I guess, you know, what's really excited me the most as far as the GM hire could go is our buddy Zach Oliver's report from the Orlando Pinstripe post that Dennis Scott would be all over that job if he was offered it. Uh, I would be all about Dennis Scott returning. And I think the magic – I would hate to to think that I'm making a poor judgment in the same way I did when Skiles was hired as coach just because of the sentimentality factors. But Dennis Scott seems to have a good basketball mind. I've listened to him on NBA TV. I mean, he really seems to know – what his stuff? I think he'd be a good evaluator of talent, and and the Magic fan base loves him. We already know. Uh, is that impossible? Is that just like pure speculation on the part of Dennis Scott and Zach Oliver, or is that, is that something that could actually happen, Phil? Um,
0: anything's possible. I mean, I think I think the, I mean, we're seeing the Pat Garrity rumors going around, and and I think Pat Garrity's a little bit more realistic than Dennis Scott because because Dennis Scott he he was the general manager of a CBA team. He has no NBA front office experience, and so he'd Uh have to make sure he hired some really good guys. Um, Kind of like with coaches, whenever you hire a coach, you tend to go the opposite direction of the coach you just hired. So like the magic went from Stan Van Gundy, Mr. Perfectionist, intense yelling, to Jacques Vaughn, who was probably a little too hands-off, back to Scott Skiles, who's intense and, and wants everything done a certain way, to Frank Vogel, who's... Describe more of as a player's coach, just kind of an analytical guy, you know, not a yeller. Um, You tend to go the opposite way. And so, you know, people have thrown Pat Gary's name out there, and he's really well thought of, and I think he'll be a GM one day. You know, Dennis Scott kind of threw his name into the hat. You know, people are getting nostalgic and want Shaq to come back and run the team. (laughs) I I don't think that's happening. Um, There's a 0% chance of that almost. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But... I think the magic don't want to go back to the well of having a general manager with very little experience. I mean, again, yeah. not that Hennigan wasn't qualified. He obviously did enough to get the job in an interview and impress them enough to get the interview, uh, to, to get the job. Uh, but at 31 years old, there's a, there's a, there, you know, just kind of realistically, there's a limited amount of time for him to gain NBA experience. And so mm-hmm. I think they're going to look for someone who's had a little bit more experience in the NBA, you know, has a relationship with, with the, with the team already perhaps, but uh, is ready is someone who's been groomed and ready to take that lead chair. Um, I think uh, the rumor that's been going around about Travis Shank from uh, golden state warriors. I think that's probably the direction that they head. Um, you know, I think there's, there's definitely other, there's definitely plenty of other really qualified candidates, you know, GMs are a little bit harder to scout, uh, as far as who's who's available, because you don't really hear about who the assistant GMs are, or who the scouts are that are really making waves and inroads to, to to get to get a lead to get a lead job. There's only 30 of these jobs out there. Uh, but I think the magic go with someone who's just a little bit more experienced and has a little bit more uh, cachet around the league.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's a fair uh, breakdown of the situation. Any job of of mega importance as a GM of a, a professional fan franchise is, you want experience. You know that you don't you don't step into big position jobs usually in any field without experience. You have to start and work your way up, and so Dennis Scott probably doesn't have the laurels to just step in and do that. Uh, but then Matthew again, he, but somehow then again, did. <laughs> but then
0: again, neither did Steve Kerr.
1: Yeah. So I mean, that
0: there are plenty of examples um, where guys have gone from the broadcast booth to doing this this job and. And mm-hmm. have been successful. I mean, Steve Kerr was moderately successful with Phoenix uh, as a GM. And, you know, I think I think what's important about Magic Johnson uh, uh, with him is that that was more about a relationship hire. But he hired really good people beneath him. Um, mm. you know, Rob Polinka and, and this seems to be a growing trend around the league now, uh, hiring agents to be GMs. Rob Polinka will do a good job as a GM because of what he did as an agent. But, again, they still have to hire a really good support staff because – um, a lot of people know what the GM does. You know, outwardly looking to the public, they think of the GM as someone who signs players, negotiates contracts, makes roster decisions. There's a lot more to that position than just that. They manage an entire staff of scouts who prep the team for uh, for games, as well as scouting prospects for the draft. They, you know, manage an entire staff of you know video coordinators and uh, you know people working for the team. It's 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 a big job. It's not just about you know, how do we make this team better through player transactions? There's actually a business component to it that they have to manage as well.
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's a fair description for those that didn't know uh, GMs are the head honchos. They run more than, more than just sign and player contracts. As Phil said, you know, they they have to coordinate the entire team. That's why they're a general manager. But uh, I think we've covered a good bit. You know, we got GM in, we got draft, we got the most recent game and the struggles and, and what's happening with the season as it winds down. Uh, so, you know, Stay with, us, stay with us, Magic fans. It's been a rough year. It's been a rough five years, but uh, rebuilds are not generally the most fun part of a franchise's uh, life cycle, you know, and, and this has been a tough one. But, uh, you know, don't abandon hope. The team is, is still trying to make moves in the right direction. This is a good draft. The Magic will have a good pick. And we'll come back next year with a completely new mindset and and probably a new GM, most likely. And, and you know... Every year's every year's a different different animal, and then nobody nobody ever goes into every season predicting the the success and, and wins and losses of every team accurately. There are surprise teams every year, and my fingers are crossed that the Magic are a surprise team next year because I I don't like remaining negative on a team that I watch regularly. You know.
0: Yeah, and, it's, and I mean you try and find the positives, and you try to, and honestly, that may be part of the delusion of, of the team trying to win games to end the season. Is just find something positive to build off of, and I do think that's a worthy goal and. I've told people numerous times, when you have a chance to win the game, you need to win the game. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, wins, to me, I'm never going to complain about a win. Uh, and, and so you know, when you get those wins, you treasure them, you learn from them, you grow from them, hopefully, uh, and then you see where it takes you next
1: year. I would not be upset if the Magic closed the season with three consecutive wins or something like that, you know? It just end it on a positive note and come back with a fresh mindset next year, slightly different roster, maybe majorly different roster. We don't know yet. Yeah. But we do But we do know that there will be changes, and we do know that the Magic are committed to winning. They've proven that for almost 30 years now.
0: Yeah, they're going to they're gonna at least try to. They're going to make an attempt to. Whether they're successful or not uh, is another
1: question. Exactly. Well, we'll we'll wrap it up there. This was Brett David Roberts of the Hocus Podcast. I have Phil uh, Phil Philip Rossman-Reich pinch-hitting for my usual co-host, Chris Chartier. And uh, you can hit Phil on Twitter at omagicdaily. I'm 33trigger. Any closing words, Phil?
0: Uh, Not too much. I I enjoy your podcast name. I just want to note note that. I enjoy a solid (laughs) play on words. uh, And you guys have a solid play on words for your podcast name. So I I, I doff my cap to you.
1: All, all, all credit goes to Chris Axman. He's the creative mind behind the whole ABPN and all the logos and names and everything. He's, he's a creative little dude. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And and I, I check out the lockdown. You know, I ain't gonna say I watch every or listen to every episode, but I I tune into you and you do a good job too. It's, it's, it's not a lot of coverage that's been going around for the Magic. And and as long as you and I and and Chris and Zach over at OPP stay on it. The team's going to get the coverage it deserves, and and when the magic are good again, hopefully more people are, are on board to listen to all of this, you know, and read all of it because uh, it, it's it, it's tough. It's tough for especially non magic fans to have a heavy interest in a team that pre- people perceive as tanking. Yeah, and it's, and we'll it's just, rough. You know, it's, it's
0: been it's been a rough few years. Um, I mean, that's the beauty of fandom, though. You got to believe that better times are ahead.
1: And I do because it, it's proven to have been the case already. We, we've we've endured the the uh, the end of the T-Mac era, which was a low, just just much like this one. And the next thing to come was Dwight Howard. You know, so we, we don't know what the next Dwight Howard answer will be in a draft, or even maybe some weird free agent signing like like the Tracy McGrady signing. But the Magic have proven that they're going to be a team that tries to win. And you know, this is five years without the playoffs. There's a team that just gave away their franchise center that's about to have their 11th season straight without the playoffs. So be glad you're not hanging out in Sacramento right now. You know, Magic fans, it, it could be worse.
0: <laughs> sorry,
1: Sacramento. Sorry, sorry Sacramento, fans. Sacramento. Yeah, whenever, yeah,
0: whenever I worry about the Magic being dysfunctional, I, I, I do look at the Kings and the Knicks and say, oh, we're not them at least.
1: Exactly. Sorry, and, guys. And if the Knicks want to, you know, mess up a little more, that's fine with me because maybe poor Zingas will walk here as a free agent. Everything will be all fine after all. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I couldn't even say that without laughing. That's depressing. All right, we'll close on that note. Thank you, Magic fans. You are Locked On Magic, your
0: daily Orlando Magic podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network,
1: your team every day.